episode 165 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 14th of February, 2022. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. How's it going? Graham. Hello. And Will. Hello. Yeah, it's still Valentine's Day, and it's <laughs> still not getting any more romantic. Oh, <laughs> speak for yourself, Joe. Yeah, I've been having a lovely time. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get straight on with our discoveries then. So, Phelan, what's Python rich? Python Rich is the user interface for your command line applications that my customers deserve but don't get. <laughs> so I've tried to make UIs for command line applications that, you know, if someone needs to log in and do a bit of admin, they can use. And they usually involve horrible escape sequences being mm. printed out to the screen to try and get a bit of color here or there. And it's just messy and horrible. Whereas if you use the Python module Rich, what I only discovered in the Python module podcast, the, whoa, it must have been about two months ago. It's brilliant and it's super easy. It's got like contextual highlighting for underline and bold and strike through and all that sort of stuff and colors by just actually putting the color name in square brackets. Like it's got, it's kind of essentially its own markup, but it can do all sorts of cool things like a proper console log where you can just those usual print statements, try and see if things are working or when you're, you know, you should be using the logger fucking module, but you're not. This has got a simple thing acts a bit like the print, but it sticks on a timestamp, but also beautifully the line number of where it's been output from, which mm. is kind of nice. So you stop having to add all these, this bit flag here, that yoke over there, sort of horrible keywords that you put into your own logs. X, 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 X. Have you been looking at my code again? But it could do things like tables and it can do tree structures of data and it can also do markdown, which is pretty cool as well. So, it is just a fantastic module, and if you're doing anything, just use the damn thing, because it's so much easier than trying to hack it all together yourself. It looks amazing, actually, just looking at the readme on the uh, repository. It just looks fantastic. Yeah, and it's just a pip install away. Alas, it's not in any of the sort of system core ones yet, but maybe it will eventually. But yeah, it, it needs Python 3.6, so maybe that's the reason why some of the, the LTS releases haven't got it yet, but just a pip install away. It's fantastic. Maybe you could make a snap of it, Graham. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Will, what's this Sweet Home 3D? Yeah, I, I've been using it for for a few years now, um, but I've come back to it again this week uh, because what I want to do is relay out my relatively small office, which is two metres by two metres or something. And so rather than like try and draw it out on graph paper or something. I put all the dimensions into Sweet Home 3D. It lets you lay out a room relatively easily. It's got a huge catalogue of like ready-made furniture, including office furniture and home furniture and kitchen furniture and all sorts of things. And then you can lay it all out in 2D uh, and it, you know, snaps to grid and lets you tweak all things. And then you can go and walk around it in 3D. Uh, and it's really nice. So if you've got any sort of home design work going on, then I would recommend checking out Sweet Home. It's a Java app. It's relatively heavy. It does run on um, like all Intel systems, but I think a graphics card would probably help. But it does work. And so, yeah, if you if you want to try laying out some furniture and then visiting your, your room in 3D, give it a go. I've got a pretty cool story about Sweet Home 3D. Um, I've got a friend who a few years ago moved to France and moved to an eco village in France where she was going to build her own home. And she designed it herself in Sweet Home 3D. Um, it's like a quite, a, quite a small home and she built it like it took her like two and a half years. 
but she was able to plan where her rooms were, where the kitchen was, where stuff was going to go. And I was able to just drop an OBJ model out of that and put it into VR so that her and her kids oh, can kind of walk around before it was built. And uh, that was the Sweet Home 3D was kind of core to the design. I and mean, she did get an architect to look over it afterwards, but that was the basis for it. Have you actually tried it on a system that is Intel only? Yeah, my laptop is Intel only and it works fine. The The 2D rendering is is nice and fast. Moving around the 3D image, that so it gives you two options for 3D viewing. You've got a virtual visit where you are like walking around and you use your mouse to move forwards and backwards and look up and down. And there's a top-down view and you can zoom in and out and move around. The top-down view is very fast, but the virtual visit is quite slow. Right. Okay. And what about installation then, with it being Java? Do you just download a Java file and run it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is it vulnerable to log 4J? (laughs) (laughs) Probably. Sorry. (laughs) I think there is a snap of it, but I didn't try it. It was quite old last time I looked. The downloads are from um, SourceForge, I think, which is a bit antiquated. Uh, And the instructions are a little bit hit and miss. But yeah, just download the jar and run it. SourceForge, that's used by Flight Gear. It's totally fine. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what? The only thing that could make this even better would be if somebody like the likes of Ikea or other furniture manufacturers got on board and put the correct shapes of their products on it. Yeah, Ikea would be very handy because that's probably where we're going to get a load of furniture quite soon. Oh, I have a feeling that somebody made a load of furniture in it. Ikea, is it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if the defaults are um, are there already. But it is very easy. If you if you just want to get a feel for things, you could drop a generic bookshelf in or bookcase in and then change the dimensions to match exactly the one that you're oh, going to buy. Good. And so, you know, it's not perfect, but it looks close enough. Yeah. Um, and it's really useful for things like, can I fit my desk in this orientation and my chair and a bookcase next to me? And you get a really good feeling for, for the amount of space that you're going to have around you. This sounds incredibly useful, and I'm definitely going to be trying it. So I'll have to report back on that one. So I may be mildly obsessed with Wordle. I've talked about this uh, on the show before. My discoveries are two Wordle-related things. One of them is React Wordle, which is just an open source implementation of it. I mean, it's not exactly difficult, is it? It was written in not that many lines of JavaScript. But loads of people have taken this and self-hosted their own Wordle alternative with different themes, like Teordle, which is a Taylor Swift-based one, which is good fun. Uh, yeah. Did you host that one? No, no, that someone beat me to it. And, you know, Harry Potter and just all sorts of different ones. So uh, it's cool that there is an open source version of it, especially now that it's gone to the New York Times. I mean, fair play to the fella for selling it for a million dollars to the New York Times for however many lines of JavaScript it was. So on on Valentine's Day, you're telling us that love has actually got a price. (laughs) So it would seem, yes, yeah. But the cooler one is Wordle written in under 50 lines of bash. Mm. This is amazing. You just save it, mark it as executable, and run it, and it's all in the terminal, and it's so good. And that led me to think, well, hang on, where's it getting all the words from? Because if there's only 50 lines of bash, and there's hundreds of words, well, it turns out that slash user slash share slash dict slash words is a bunch of words on an Ubuntu system, at least, and I had no idea that was there. Neither did I. (laughs) Yeah, you you use for testing passwords, I think. Ah, 
a lot of the time. Well, it's a dictionary too, but yeah. you can use it to test strength of passwords. Is it on other distros? Is that, I mean, it must be, because that's what this script assumes you have. Oh, I'm pretty sure all, everybody's got one of those, no? Yeah. Uh, they're not not so. very big. It's only a few, it, well, not a few K, but several hundred K. But. Yeah. Well, I learned something from that, and also had fun playing Wordle in Bash. That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> you just, you just, I don't know, Will, are you sick of it yet? Oh, yeah, I'm bored. Well, not sick of it. I, it gave me American spellings, and so I got cross with it, and then we've gone back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Graham, you're just too miserable to have tried it in the first place. I don't uh, know what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, yeah, come on. And and failing, it's not your native language, so it's not. No, so we'll forgive you. If there was one for cursing, then I'd be so. <laughs> yeah. It would have to be more than five letters, wouldn't it? It'd be like fifty-five. <laughs> <laughs> well, they they can be run together like German words, you know. <laughs> yeah, nothing would sound anything like it spelled either. <laughs> you just don't care about phonetics, do you, you people? You're using the wrong alphabet. That's why. Tell that to your friend Sayoban. <laughs> Siobhan alright Graeme you seem to have uh, cheated and have loads this time so uh, what's your first one there's really just this was going to be a short short thing that I've been wanting to mention for ages because I don't see many people using it and it's on my keyboard it comes up as super L so it's the Windows key but I've remapped it but anyway if you hold that down and then left click in the middle of a window, whatever that window happens to be, and keep the super L key down, you can move the whole of the window, just like you can if you happen to have clicked on the um, the title bar. But it's so much more convenient just to click there in the middle of the window and then move the window around. Right. Can I stop you there? Alt has done this forever. Yeah. So I know this is a thing forever. I don't see many people using it. I use it absolutely all the time. And I use it a lot with... KDE Plasma tiling window managers specifically because you don't have to remember the keyboard shortcuts. By doing this, you can switch the windows from one position to the next to the next, just as you would kind of with normal windows, except for they're locked into their position. And this is the, this leads to the two finds. There's been two amazing KDE Plasma window um, tiling window managers released in the, just the last few months. One is called Cronkite or Cronkite. Cronkite, I'd say. And it's kind of an improvement on the one that I use, which is called Kwin-Tiling. They use Kwin, which is the window manager on uh, KD Plasma, on X as well, I think. But this one provides more options and works across activities. But the better of the two is a new, another new one called Bismuth, which finally adds a, a settings panel to be able to control the shortcuts that you want to use and how you want to configure the tiling, whether you want to enable all of the tiling modes, for example, um, because they have kind of, they have spiral ones and you can have all the same ones from the kind of normal window managers you might use, but you might only use one or two. I only use one or two. Um, unfortunately, neither of them have replaced KWIN tiling because I use a half height mode in KWIN tiling because I've got an ultra wide display, but they're both really good if you wanted to try tiling window managers and you didn't want to commit to something like xmonad so they were kind of all related to one find and then the other one i'll say it quickly because it's cool if you're into mandelbrots and fractals which was a big thing in the 80s and 90s is a program called mandelbulba 2 it's been around for a long time um, but it's basically a 3d um, mandelbulb is a like mandelbrot that's built into 3d um, and lets you explore 
incredible fractals um, in three dimensions using OpenGL, using OpenCL if you've got it. And the output from Mandel Bulba 2 is phenomenal. Like it's super, super realistic. You can add depth of field, you can add fog, you can change all the palettes, you can change the materials just like you can in Blender. It does ray tracing. It creates incredible photorealistic output of these totally random infinitely iterative 3d models which you can export to blender as well if you want to it's a really cool app for playing with fractals just for art's sake or does it have any practical use no practical use whatsoever no um yeah might you could use it for background if you want you could you can import it into blender so if you need this kind of stuff for some kind of alien landscape maybe but loosely that assumes that you can do anything with Blender other than open it and go, uh, and then close it again. It's got a lot better recently. It really has with the latest release. I think you underestimate my ability to not understand how to move in 3D. Yes, similarly, yeah. Every time I've opened Blender, I've just gone, I just don't understand this. I'm sure if you know it, it is this incredibly powerful tool. Like It definitely is because people have made amazing stuff with it, but... I'm just either too thick or too impatient or I don't know what, but Blender is just a mystery to me. Much like Inkscape as well. I can just about import an SVG and export a PNG from it after about 10 minutes of fucking around, but Blender, no chance. But as for your fancy holding down keys and clicking with the mouse, are you aware that Alt and right click lets you resize from vaguely near the corners of windows yeah yeah i do and i do use that too i just don't see many people using them and it's the kind of thing that flies under the radar unless you're told about it so if there's anyone out there who doesn't try it yeah especially in xfc i'm trying to grab the corner of a window now and it's so frustrating but just go vaguely near it hold down out right click jobs are good in yeah and when you're doing it with one of those tiling scripts and you do the right click to resize, it resizes the tile. So you don't even have to remember those increment or decrement things. It's a much more intuitive way of working. If you're used to being normal mouse windows environment, I use that most of the time, to be honest. I use, I use the left click and um, drag the window or the right click and resize. Isn't the whole point of tiling to not use the mouse, though? It is. And I do use the keyboard shortcuts a lot, but... I like a bit of both. I like. I don't like exact thirds or quarters. I sometimes I need to pull a, a pane across, and the others, the other panes will dynamically adapt to the size of the new one that you've just dragged. So sometimes, if you need something a bit wider, or you need it a bit narrower, you don't. You know, if you're opening Telegram and you just want that to be a small column on the far left, you can do that much easier with just a mouse drag than trying to decrement the size of that particular pane. For me, anyway. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late night Linux to get started with $100 free credit. From their award-winning support offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. Linode offers great price-to-performance value for all compute instances, including GPUs, as well as block storage, Kubernetes, and more. Linode makes cloud computing fast, simple, and affordable, allowing you to focus on your projects, not your infrastructure. So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, create a free account with your Google or GitHub account or your email address, and you'll get $100 in credit. 
That's linode.com slash late night Linux. On to a bit of admin then. First of all, just a quick thank you to everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. Remember, for $5 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed, and you also get occasional early releases. You can find out about that at latenightlinux.com slash support. And if you want to get in contact with us, show at latenightlinux.com. Let's do some feedback then. And first of all, we had a lot of suggestions for email hosting. Will, have you picked something to replace your free Google stuff? Not yet, because maybe Google are going to give it to us for free after all. There's rumors of uh, of an alternative option rather than paying um, five quid a month or whatever. They are very, very light on details. They're sort of dangling a carrot there at the moment. But we will see. So I'm I'm holding holding on for something free. (laughs) Okay. Well, you've got till June, I think. So we'll see about that. I was wrong last time when I said that Namecheap didn't support wildcards. It turns out I had already enabled this, so (laughs) I'm just dumb. So yeah, you can just set it up, and it all forwards to just one of your paid addresses. You just select which one it's going to be, and so anything at the domain goes to that. So yeah, that still remains my recommendation then. Peter has got back in touch with us um, to say, as a follow-up to my email about discourse, for what it's worth, for the first five years, I ran my instance on a $5 VPS due to the volume of uploads from users and because the data center I was using did not have uh, block storage available, I simply upgraded to a $10 VPS and I've had no issues at all. So I think we were talking about discourse and how you might need a, a bigger kind of server to run it, but Peter's getting away with $10 a month. Yeah, which is surprising. I thought that it was very heavy. Maybe it's become lighter over time. So that's good to know that for relatively low cost, you can host it. And it does solve a lot of the problems that you talked about, Graham. So yeah, thanks a lot for getting back in touch, Peter. That's uh, good to know. So Michael writes in, he says, I just listened to the latest episode of LNL where you talk about JQ for JSON processing. I use it all the time and it's awesome. But recently, I discovered FX, which can be used both as a command line processor and a TUI interactive tool. You can explore your JSON both with your mouse and your keyboard. You can also use it in interactive mode by typing your filters. So in this regard, it's similar to the website you mentioned where you can test out JQ commands. I still use mostly JQ for scripting, mostly because I know the syntax and I'm used to it, not because I found something wrong with FX. Either way, though... I recommend giving FX a look. It might prove useful. And Jesse said, JQ is great. I use it for most things, but I recently found Miller, which looks pretty sweet too. Yeah, I I saw the email from Michael and I did check out FX. I haven't checked out Miller yet, but I, I will do. But FX was very impressive. I like the fact that you can use it in this interactive mode. Uh, it was just, yeah, very, uh, very easy to help explore a great big JSON document. The only downside was, well, for me, was that it was quite a large lump of uh, of Node.js, which I tried to avoid having uh, Node installed on my system just for reasons. But I do think that um, the FX is worth having. And so I will break my rule and, and have Node installed because, yeah, it's really good. And it's funny that I nearly discovered in our finds of the discovery this weekend uh, <laughs> the command Joe, which is a command for creating at the shell prompt JSON, because apparently everything's about the JSON now. So there you go. And that's just J-O. It is. Well, I'll put links to all of that in the show notes then. Peter wrote in and said, I am not going to install Telegram. 
ever. Are you mad? Anyway, I opened this room in Matrix. Thought I would let you know so you could tell people. And it's hash late night Linux on matrix.org. And if you have any thoughts about this, please tell me. It's your show. You call the shots if you want to. So what do we think about this? Fracturing our community. I just, I can't see myself ever using it. But I thought, let's mention it and link to it. I, I did briefly look at it, and, and you had to, I had to click through several things to just have a look at it on the web without installing some bullshit app. Okay, not some bullshit app, but an app that I'm not going to use. Anyway, there was a couple of people in there that must have just found it somehow, I don't know. So the way I see it, I'd prefer everyone to be in one place that's easy, like Telegram, but if you want to be awkward about it and demand free software only, then knock yourselves out, I suppose. What, what do we all think? We're not, you lot, you lot barely fucking take part in the Telegram group, never mind a Matrix channel. We're too busy in IRC, you see, that's why. Oh yeah, there's <laughs> IRC as well. When I'm editing this, I'll probably end up uh, popping back in there and saying hello and then everyone will just stay quiet again and then I'll leave and you'll all start talking. Exactly. That's exactly what happens. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll put a link in the show notes. Let's see what happens. If people want to start using it, I just don't want to start bridging things because bridges break all the time and now everyone's going to get in touch saying, no, my bridge is working fine. Well, fuck you. I've been there. <laughs> I've seen Telegram chats where it just fucking breaks and that's just overhead and maintenance. The whole point of using Telegram is it's some Russian person's problem, not mine. Although I'm actually thinking about it, maybe we should be uh, looking at alternatives. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably all happened now by the time this is uh, released so light bulb moment yeah don't worry there's only people at wind up radios listening to us now <laughs> yeah uh yeah maybe we should uh, look into this matrix thing and i don't know we'll see we'll see and justin writes in my question is, as a podcaster myself and Linux user only, I use Audacity to record my podcasts with a Blue Yeti Pro USB microphone, and it always seems to make a random noise during the recordings, but no exact times. Think of it like a tear or a crackle at certain points in the recording. Using GNOME Sound Recorder, I don't get this problem. Any idea how to fix it, or can you point me in the direction of good recording software on Linux? I feel like I'm supposed to know the answer to this, but uh, <laughs> Graham, help me. <laughs> well, I reckon they're both using different audio devices. I reckon Audacity is probably doing something through Alsa. Pulse Audio or something, and, or Alsa, yeah, and GNOME Sound Recorder is doing the right thing. Yeah. I suspect that it is the Blue Yeti Pro mic that's causing you the issue, because I know that the old Blue Yeti works well. It is possible that the reviews that you presumably read that said it works on Linux don't apply to that revision of the hardware. They sometimes don't even say anything. They just change stuff inside it because of component shortages or whatever, especially in the last couple of years. So it might be that it just doesn't play nicely with Linux. The only thing I can suggest is that you install and run Pavu Control, which is default in Ubuntu. Go to the last tab, which is configuration, and disable all of the sound cards, the HDMI out and all the rest of it, everything apart from this Blue Yeti, plug your headphones into that mic and use it as a sound card as well as a mic and see if it works. And if it doesn't, then you're fucked. I suppose try something with a different kernel, maybe. It could be just like a kernel bug in one particular version of a distro. 
but otherwise it just might not play nicely with Linux. And that's rare these days, but it can happen. I wonder if this could be a memory usage thing as well. Audacity is a little bit heavier than GNOME Sound Recorder, and I wonder if you're hitting like swapping problems. So it's run out of RAM and it's having to swap to disk and your disk is very slow and that's what's causing these dropouts. But I, I don't know. I don't know the, the specs of the hardware there, but I think that's something to think about. Maybe he should install Telegraph and set those metrics up, hey? Hey, that's a great idea. <laughs> well, it also depends on what distro you're using. I would suggest use something that's based on an Ubuntu LTS. And uh, like Will said, if you've got four gigabytes of RAM or something and you're trying to run GNOME, then maybe it might be running into that. But um, all I know is that Zubuntu 2004 works perfectly with any interface I've ever thrown at it and any USB microphone. So try that first. And uh, otherwise, get back in touch and tell us more details and maybe we can help you. Send us a recording. Yeah, and uh, don't buy a condenser mic is my general advice. He says using a condenser mic, but <laughs> most people shouldn't have a condenser mic. It took me a while to learn this, but the other type of mic or one of the other types of mics is the dynamic mic. And that picks up a lot less of the room around you and the fridge buzzing and the dog barking outside and everything. It has its disadvantages and its advantages. It's not quite as crystal clear in ideal circumstances, but generally speaking, you're going to have a better time with a dynamic mic. And if you want a simple USB one, the Samsung, not Samsung, but Samsung Q4 is cheap and cheerful and does the job. So if you do look to replace this, that would be my recommendation. And Podcastage, Podcastage, whatever, on YouTube that's a really good channel for comparing different microphones. It's not going to tell you about the Linux compatibility, but it will give you loads of samples of uh, unprocessed audio and stuff, and you can just make your own mind up as to what makes sense for you. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Entroware. Go to entroware.com. Entroware sells computers with Ubuntu and Ubuntu Mate pre-installed. They've got a range of desktops, laptops, and servers, and most parts are configurable, so you can pick the CPU, RAM, and storage that's right for you. If you can't find exactly what you want, then do contact them, and they'll work with you on a bespoke solution that's perfect for your needs. They ship to the UK, Republic of Ireland, France, Germany, Italy, and Spain. And if you do buy one of their machines, there's a little drop-down at checkout, and you can select late-night Linux so they'll know that we sent you. So go to entroware.com for all your Linux computing needs. Okay, Joe wrote in, not me. He said, I was wondering what the best distro would be for an old iMac desktop from around 2009. I'm a Linux noob and tried Ubuntu on it and had a few issues. 2009, are we talking sort of Core 2 Duo-ish? I've just looked it up. So in theory, it's a 3 gigahertz Intel Core 2 Duo. I guess RAM might be the limiting factor. My Mac is 2013 and is an i5 and not as fast as that. It still works really, really well. It's only got 8 gig of RAM. So there could only be 4 gig on that iMac. Maybe they've expanded it to 8. I'd say that would be good to do if you can do it. But otherwise, I think a lot of things will work okay. Well, I actually had an iMac of around that era, I think, that was given to me. And... The screen's lovely, speakers are great, and it all worked perfectly with Zubuntu. It had spinning rust in it, and I couldn't be asked to open it up with the suckers and all that to get the screen off. 
So I just left it with spinning rust. So I think if you can be bothered to open it up, put an SSD in it, upgrade the RAM if you can, I would say Zubuntu should be all right. It depends what these issues that you had on Ubuntu are. If they were GNOME-based and graphical, then maybe something like Zubuntu or even Lubuntu would be good, or maybe even MX Linux. I don't know. It depends what you want to do with it. Is that 32-bit? No, it is 64-bit. Is that a CRT? No, no, no. This is, no. It's it's the chunkier end of the LCD IMAX. Right. Because now they're paper thin. And, well, now they're like not even thin enough for a fucking headphone jack. <laughs> now they've got the M1 in them. But the previous ones were pretty thin. Whereas now these are pretty chunky, but they're well portable still. I had no problem lifting it around and stuff. But yeah, you're not going to have great performance. It depends what you want to do. If you want to just have a bit of office and browsing and stuff, then something of that vintage should be fine with an Ubuntu-based distro. I think you just got to look up what your issues are and see what people have done to fix them. Right, well, we better get out of here then. We'll be back next week when who knows what we'll be talking about. Probably exciting things in the news. Not that news, Linux news. But maybe we won't be back. Who knows? Anyway, until then, I've been Joe. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later. 